0: Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and today I'm here with Rachel Madel, almost as always with Rachel Madel, but not just Rachel Madel. Rachel, who'd you bring with us today?
1: I have my teammate Monica here, Chris,
2: and I'm so excited.
0: Hi, Monica. It's so nice to meet you, although I guess we've met once before.
2: I think just very briefly on a Zoom.
0: Well, welcome. Thank you for being here.
1: So I have to share Chris. So Monica is kind of behind the scenes of my online business. So like Monica does like all the reels you guys see and the resources that we sell and the emails we send out. Monica is the one who kind of organizes that and leads our digital team. So I'm um, really excited that she's on the podcast because we're actually in person together, which doesn't always happen. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited because we've been working all week on. Um, Stuff for the year for my course AAC ally and just kind of getting ourselves organized and having a
0: a work retreat if you will Awesome. Awesome. All right, Monica. I got some questions for you. you ready
2: ready as I'll ever be
0: (laughs) So Monica do you do speech as well? Or is it sort of the digital marketing marketing thing or is it I'm speech with digital marketing as sort of my uh, My side hustle. Well, how does it all work?
2: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Um, I'm in school right now. I'll finish grad school in December, um, and then I'll be with Rachel doing CFY, um, but Rachel got me into speech.
1: I know. I was going to say, Monica, <laughs> we have to tell our love story. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about how this this beautiful relationship came to be. It was so serendipitous.
2: I was babysitting. I had moved out to LA, and I'd been here for about a year, and was babysitting a kid that Rachel was seeing, and she'd come into the house and kind of show, like, come, come sit in my session, like, see what we're doing. I'm like, oh, great. Okay, cool. And I think I was studying, like, early childhood development at that time and doing, like, preschool things and saw Rachel come in and thought, wow, that looks way more fun for me. <laughs> I was recruiting
1: hard. I was like, "Monica, like you need to be a speech-language pathologist. Like let's talk about how great this field is." And of course, I was looping Monica in because she was a primary caregiver of one of my students and so I'm thinking like, "Okay, like you can do all these things when I'm not here. Like you can be my 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 girl on the ground." Mm-hmm. Um and so of course, I was teaching her all about the things that she can do and the strategies that she can use and definitely hard selling her on going to graduate school for speech language pathology.
0: And
2: it worked. (laughs) Yeah, it
0: seemed to work,
2: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so from there, I just uh, stuck with Rachel. I'm like, sticking like glue over here (laughs) Um, and brought me into the back end stuff.
0: So really, you've been with Rachel your whole academic career. I mean, as soon as you switched over, like you started studying speech, and you've been with Rachel ever since
2: ever since happily ever after.
1: (laughs) Well, she also, you have a background in design, so that's uh, important. She's really good with design. It doesn't (laughs) even matter if you have a background in it. She's really good with design. So once I realized, oh my gosh, she's so good on canvas. She's so good. Her eye for design is so good. I started figuring out like all the things that she could start helping me with. And yeah, it just, her, her role grew bigger and bigger.
0: Well, Monica, that's I'm, I'm curious about both of those things. So what got you interested in early childhood education? Because it seems like that's what you were doing when Rachel sort of discovered you. And then uh, on the flip side of that coin, let's flip it over and look at the other side and say um, and ask, how did you get interested in design? Is that something you've, you know, since I was a little kid, I've been drawing pictures and designing things or like, how? no, when it got digital, I, I fell into it. What's your story?
2: Yeah. Well, it's been a, a really winding journey design. I mean, yeah, like you said, pretty much drawing since I was a kid, um, really got into deep in high school, decided I'm going to go to school for graphic design. Did that for a semester. and was like, mm, maybe I can just do this on my own. <laughs> um, moved to LA to try to do like freelance work, did a couple of gigs, was like well that's not a lot of money <laughs> so, yeah so let's babysit and started working with more kids and really fell in love with working with kids and and being around them and yeah I think that's what led me to early childhood and then seeing Rachel led me here
0: awesome well you, you've mentioned now twice that you moved out to LA where are you from originally
2: uh, from Phoenix, Arizona.
0: Ah, okay. That's one of our favorite favorite places.
2: <laughs> Big AAC hub in Phoenix, right, Chris? Like so many AAC
1: peeps are up in Phoenix.
0: It's why why it's one of our favorite places. We've got we've had the opportunity to go there and present.
1: Yeah, it's great. Other than in the summer when it's too hot <laughs> to do anything. Monica was telling me like, oh yeah, this time in 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 Arizona, it's like ninety degrees at night at like two in the morning. I'm like, Ew, <laughs> sounds <laughs> terrible. <laughs>
0: I think a bunch of people that listen to this podcast are also interested in social media marketing and how to convey a message to a to a large group of people through social media. And when I say people listening, I really mean me. I'm interested in that. <laughs> um, what advice do you have? What are some tips, tricks, things to do, things to stay away from?
2: Oh, my gosh. That is a question I ask myself all the time. Um, like, what, what, what a, do we do?
1: We're constantly researching that, Chris.
2: Yeah. <laughs> It's, I, I think we find just trial and error and trying a lot of different methods to see what resonates. And then also we were talking about how proud we are to be putting out content that really helps people. Like it's not just fun little clips. It's really a, a hub, a resource hub that you can use. So I think that in and of itself adds a lot of intrinsic value.
0: Well, Monica, can I just say I've been at this game for a while now and I find that that is so true that um, there. I think a lot of people sometimes start with, mm, how can I use this as a marketing tool as opposed to how can I use this for a tool for good? And then the marketing will just take care of itself, you know. <laughs>
1: I mean, I feel like Chris, our podcast is an example of that.
0: <laughs> like, have
1: we ever marketed our podcast?
0: Not really. No. <laughs> we
1: talk about it when we do speaking events, but otherwise it's just kind of been this, this grassroots effort that's really blossomed. And I think it's a testament to when you provide really valuable content
0: that people will come. Yeah. yeah. Just do good. Try and do good things and it'll come. But still, Monica, I know that there's some effort that, that goes into it, meetings that you two have or more, maybe Rachel, your whole team, I'm not 100% sure, but um, there's some design elements, like there's branding that you have, there's a certain style to the videos, you know, um, Rachel's not out there doing dances on TikTok, right? Like, so how do you how do you make those decisions?
1: Should I, I want to share really quickly because it's going to be funny to share this inside detail. When Reels started going crazy on Instagram, like we all kind of remember when everyone started, like you said, Chris, like dancing on TikTok. My whole team was like, oh, I think Rachel, we should do Reels. I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, I will not, I, I refuse. I put my foot down. Like I will not dance on TikTok or I, not, I will not dance on a Reel. And my team really started kind of brainstorming well maybe we can do things different maybe we can you know still provide good content it's just videos right and so I feel like Monica is partially responsible for kind of getting me out of my comfort zone uh, with the real game because I mean things have completely transitioned to reels and you know without pivoting and changing kind of what we were doing we would kind of be left in the dust so um I just want to share that because (laughs) it's funny you mentioned dancing on on reels.
0: Well, it seems to be um, in, in the larger scheme of AAC, we talk about the intervention and the strategies, and we talk about the tools. Well, Reels is a tool, and you're like, well, okay, how are we going to use it? Other people are using it by dancing on it, and that's not our thing. That's not my thing. What is my thing? And you had to have discussions about what is your thing and how you're going to use it. But the tool is the tool, Right. Monica, what other tools? So we know Instagram and Reels on Instagram. I know Rachel has sort of hinted at how AI has changed things. What other tools would you say, use this, use that, you know, stay away from this. We didn't have good luck with that. What's uh, what's some advice do you have?
2: Yeah, all of the AI. Just utilize every Thing that you can i mean rachel's constantly sending me things that are like wow i never knew you could use it this way i'm like wow neither did i <laughs> um mm-hmm. so like yeah chat GPT, like help us write comments like all kinds of stuff um it really just helps you kind of start formulating gives you a jumping off point canva has been The biggest blessing.
1: (laughs) We do everything on Canva. Like, I use it in therapy all the way to like all of our resources are made on Canva. Like, we are constantly using Canva, and I feel like my team is very well versed in all the different features and functions of Canva.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: It makes everything so, so easy. Like when I was going to school for graphic design, it was, you know, you have to do all this in Photoshop and you have to create all these things. And now it's like, oh yeah, let me just grab this thing from Canva, put this here. It just, it makes it a
0: breeze. Yeah, I know it has a feature where you can bring in an image and it will pull the colors from that image and then create a brand around it. So now you know, okay, this is my, my swatch. What is sw- what's, what's it called, Monica? Swatch of colors, Yeah. Is that uh-huh. right? <laughs>
1: a swatch Mm -hmm. yeah
0: Yeah, your color palette it has your color palette it knows what the what the right numbers are for each color cool um so you guys are working together here uh like in person together because a lot you do virtually is that fair
1: yeah i mean monica lives in a different part of the city and also my whole team is kind of remote at this point like i don't typically see them in person a lot but uh, when we're doing these kind of week-long retreats, we want to be together and it's just so much easier to like just be in the same place and working kind of next to each other and, and bouncing ideas off of each other and I feel like there's kind of an energy to that momentum that we can build and Monica and I were just talking last night about how it's really nice to kind of focus very specifically on a project Mm -hmm. instead of kind of this piecemeal like, okay, do an hour here and then two days later do another 30 minutes. And like, it's just like we do better when we kind of deep dive into a specific thing. Um, And so, yeah, we're, we're organizing our, my course, AAC Ally is going to open in October. So we're doing all the email marketing and social media things and all the, all of that organization and just kind of planning out the rest of the year too and what we're doing social media wise what we want to do the collaborations we want to have with other people you know on that platform so it's been really fun to kind of have that
2: energy and like a very streamlined focus instead of just everything being piecemeal
0: yeah you can get into flow
2: yeah and it's it's nice to 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 have really focused time where we're really into our projects and then we have downtime we're like all right now it's lunchtime now let's let's relax for a little bit and I'm able to ask Rachel all of these questions to just pop into my head. Like Rachel will say something like, oh yeah, so why do you do that? Like when, when would you start this? Yeah. <laughs> so it never stops. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a lot of like clinical kind of discussions too around some of the concepts that we share on social media and, and, and the rationale behind it, like the why behind what we're doing and what I'm saying. And yeah, I think that's like one of the benefits too is like really being able to teach and mentor um, yeah. about AAC.
0: Awesome, awesome, Monica. Uh, one last question. Tell us a fun Rachel story. What's a behind-the-scenes story that you can share about Rachel?
1: <laughs> Ooh, hmm. some behind-the-scenes. What
0: she really like. <laughs> <laughs> and if you need Rachel to leave the room, I mean, no one will hear <laughs> this. Kick me out. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get real for a second.
2: <laughs> um, wow, great question. One of the great memories last time we did a retreat uh, was sitting out on the patio after a long day of like really brainstorming, really like working hard on a resource. We're like, oh my god, it's, I'm so tired. So we sat out on the patio, brought a, a screen out, and started watching some like reality TV, like, really trashy yeah. TV. Think that you know when your brain is just dead and you just want to, you just want to not think about anything more. You're like, yes, give me some trashy reality TV. It's so good. <laughs>
1: The best part of that story that Monica forgot was that we got pizza delivered directly to my patio. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm hungry, but I'm literally not leaving this
0: couch. (laughs) That's awesome. How fun is that? That's great. Well, Monica, I know you're in good hands for your CFY, and I hope you guys continue to um, stay in the flow of things while working and get a lot done. And thank you for taking your time and being on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. This has been really cool.
0: Monica's a super fan of our podcast, so I'm
2: sure, (laughs) yes, she's very excited about this. It'd be crazy to listen to my voice on two times speed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A girl after my own heart.
0: Uh, Rachel, tell us who the interview is today.
1: I had the pleasure of interviewing one of my clients, Chris. Her name is Ashley Waterman. She has been in my practice for the last two years, and I just love it talking you know at a deep level with parents who are you know kind of working with their children learning how to model learning all the strategies their whole journey of AAC and so I was really excited to have Ashley come on Um, she does a lot of work uh, her son has Cohen syndrome and she does a lot of work in that community and she's been an all-star mom she honestly is always kind of learning growing we're doing coaching together, and her son Liam is just really thriving. He has—he we started really young with AAC with him before anyone else kind of thought that it, it could work. I was like, "Yes, please, let's start this." And he's really just doing amazing. He's making so much progress. He's putting words together. He is so communicative, and um, I'm really excited to share this interview.
0: If you enjoy talking with tech, we could use your help in spreading the word about the podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews the podcast gets, the easier it becomes for others to find it. The more people who find the podcast, the more the word spreads about how to effectively consider and implement AAC. And who doesn't want that? If that sounds good to you, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick review. We'd so very much appreciate it. Now, let's get back into the episode.
1: Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Ashley Waterman. Ashley, I'm so excited to have you here today.
3: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, and then I'm excited to dive in. So Ashley is a a family that we work with in Los Angeles, and we work with her son, Liam. Um, So I'm super excited to to share your whole journey and to talk about Liam, but just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself.
3: Great. I'm Ashley. I live here in Los Angeles. I have three sons, um, Ethan, Noah, and Liam. I have a wonderful husband, Ben, and a large extended family. Um, Liam is the youngest of our three kids, and he is affected by a rare genetic syndrome called Cohen syndrome. So I can chat a lot more about what Cohen syndrome is and what it means for Liam and how him having this genetic condition led us to AAC as a form of communication.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited because Liam is the cutest and has done amazing with AAC. And, you know, we started at a really young age uh, with him and I'm excited to talk all about that. Um, so first, let's kind of dive into Cohen syndrome. Tell us a little bit about that journey for you and how, you know, you let got, got down the path to a diagnosis for Liam.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So it's really wild. It's, you know, fascinating and heartbreaking at the same time. Um, my husband and I did genetic screening 12 years ago before we had children. and at the time we were a match for other conditions, but we had never heard of Cone syndrome. So I had a typical pregnancy with Liam, and they did tell me that he was measuring small. So around you know 30 weeks, we did some stress testing, um, and they said that, you know he was growing at his own curve, so not to worry. And um, when he was born, he was born at 40 weeks full term and he weighed five pounds. And my other boys, they were also born full term, weighed eight and a half pounds at birth. So that was um, surprising for us. And in addition, my older boys had like 99th percentile on head circumference. It's one of those measurements they take when you have a baby. And Liam had microcephaly, which is like a very small head, like not even on the growth chart. He also had a really weak cry. It sounded like a bird. And then right away, he had a lot of challenges with um, feeding, whether it was nursing or from a bottle, trouble gaining weight. He had a lot of infections in his first even few months of life. He got strep at two months, which is really rare for a young child. He had a dermoid cyst on his uvula that had to get surgically removed. He had, you know, eye infections. Um, It was just, it was really challenging. And so a lot of things about lean were different. So very early on, we switched from our um, regular pediatrician to um, a lot of specialists at UCLA. Um, my husband is actually a physician at UCLA, and I share this because when you hear about our journey and you hear how challenging it was to ask um, to access, so when you hear about our journey and you hear how challenging it was for us to access genetic testing and a diagnosis. You have to remember that my husband's a physician on staff at UCLA. I have a master's in health education and health promotion and disease prevention. Um, you know, we're very medically literate, we know how to advocate, and we still found ourselves like totally in the dark. Um, so Liam started seeing um, you know, gastroenterologists um, to increase his weight gain, and then a geneticist. Um, the first and a neurologist, the first test we did was called a microarray and the first and that um, didn't sense any abnormalities. And then um, we were seeing neurology as well. We also, by a few months, noticed that his muscle tone was really weak. He couldn't hold up his head unassisted. Um, so even before we had a genetic diagnosis, around four or five months, we started doing um, physical therapy and occupational therapy. And um, We got connected with um, the state's you know, early intervention resources, and we went from there. Um, we also, around nine months, his pediatrician noticed some early signs of autism. She noticed some stimming movements and also, you know, just some repetitive behaviors. And she actually referred me to an incredible um Uh, She was referring to an incredible program called Jasper at UCLA. It was for joint assimilation, symbolic play, engagement, and regulation. And it was a study. So I was assigned to the parent group, which was actually really incredible for me to learn about it because autism is so much more than um, I previously understood. So anyways, back to the genetic testing. Um, after the microarray didn't show anything, we wanted to pursue whole exome sequencing. So whole exome sequencing is when they sequence all 23,000 of my genes, my husband's genes and Liam's, and they see if they find any mutations. Mm -hmm. And, really just any mistakes along the way. And then even if they find something, they have to see if it has any clinical significance. Right. So when Liam was 13 months, we received this formal diagnosis of Cohen syndrome. This meant that he had a mutation on the VPS13B gene. And I share that we, did, we had previously done genetic screening because this is actually an autosomal recessive condition, which mm-hmm. means husband and I are both carriers. And with each pregnancy, there's a 25% chance of that child being affected. So mm-hmm. it didn't happen with our first pregnancy. It didn't happen with our second. And then it happened with Liam. And there have been advances in genetic screening. And I know this because when we received his diagnosis, I had three sister-in-laws that were pregnant at the time and they were you know, understandably concerned. So they went and did genetic screening at our OB's office you know, $250, Cohen syndrome was on it and found out they weren't carriers. Um, But it really also led me to talk to doctors about the importance of doing genetic screening for each, you know, subsequent pregnancy because there's just so many advances all the time. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, so then we got the diagnosis and, you know, I remember the first thing I was asking was, will he walk? Will he talk? And Mm -hmm. they said, uh, "Yes, he'll probably walk later on. He, um, he might talk. We're not sure. Um, and, you know, as time went on, we started to understand what Cohen syndrome meant. And mm-hmm. so I like to break it down into what it means um, developmentally and then what it means medically. Mm-hmm. So developmentally, um, children with Cohen syndrome all have a you know, degree of intellectual disability, global developmental delay, but they don't necessarily, you know, catch up. Um, so they also have hypotonia, weak muscle tone, which makes, you know, motor, um, you know, communication, a lot of things, a lot more challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, from what I've learned, because, I immediately connected with a Facebook group of families is that um, the the children seem to stay very young for a long time. So like 30, 40 year olds that, you know, love Big Bird and celebrated his birthday yesterday because he turned six forever, six Big Bird. Um, (laughs) But, you know, the kids are definitely um, you know, stay very young. And so in terms of developmentally, um, many of them do have autism. And so they're either diagnosed with autism or autistic like traits. So Liam Mm -hmm. did receive an autism diagnosis. And I'm really happy that he received that because I think it really opens up the door for more services. And he's done really well with, um, ABA with applied behavioral analysis with ABA therapy. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, medically, it means that Liam has neutropenia, which are low neutrophils, which are a type of white blood cells that fight infection. So, um, oftentimes, a cold can land him in the hospital. And, um, you know, just November was his most recent hospitalization. His brothers got a cold, and in Liam's body, these viruses turn bacterial. And he went into, you know, acute respiratory failure and needed oxygen. And, you know, we're just so grateful again that we live in Los Angeles, that we have incredible care that's close, that's comprehensive. So we're able to, you know, treat his symptoms as soon as this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then additionally, um, all kids with Cohn syndrome have retinal dystrophy. So that leads to blindness. So right now, Liam can see really well. Um, he has glasses. Um, hopefully we'll show some pictures or something
1: and see. He's he is. literally the cutest. Yes, we have to show him because I just like, <laughs> especially me. with the glasses, it just like yeah. it's just extra yeah. level cute. Oh,
3: thank you. So people with cone syndrome have, um, you know, myopia, which is just nearsightedness, and it's pretty severe and progressive. And then also retinitis pigmentosa, which affects the um, light receptors in the back of the eye. So a lot of the children become um, night blind at a younger age, around you know five to ten, maybe legally blind. 10 to 20. Um, but um, individuals with Cohen syndrome do live a relatively normal lifespan. And what I forgot to share, which is the most important thing, is that all of our children have a cheerful disposition. Mm-hmm. They are extremely happy, cheerful children. I remember when um, he was getting his autism diagnosis and I was doing all the parent education, and there were so many forms asking me, like, how often I get frustrated with my child. And I, I genuinely don't get frustrated with Liam. Like he is the sweetest, kindest, most honest um, person I've ever met. Like he's just so joyful. He um, he just appreciates everything. He loves leaves. Magnolia leaves have been a favorite of his mm-hmm. since he was a baby. He loved looking for the moon every day. He can't wait till it gets dark to find the moon. Um, he loves his milk. He loves watching Spidey. And he loves looking for crows. You know, he has all his distinct interests and he really, um, you know, he doesn't care what anyone else thinks. Like Liam just like lives his best life every day, all the time.
1: Yes. he's honestly the sweetest and he has the sweetest disposition. Like he's always happy and engaged. And, you know, when it comes to communication, which we can talk about in a second, having that you know, intrinsic motivation to connect is not something we can teach. And it's really exciting, you know, that he is very inclined to communicate. And I think that's probably part of the reason why he's made such fast progress with AAC and communication in general.
3: And it's amazing because like I, um, I shared that when he was diagnosed, we said, will he talk? And I remember one of my first posts on the Cohen syndrome family group was, are your children verbal? And I never really thought about communication beyond words. So this has been an incredible journey for me because I'm learning about all the ways that people can really effectively and meaningfully communicate without words, um, you know, I think that when I tell people that Liam uses his voice, we call it his voice. So the program he uses is called touch chat and um, you know, a separate, uh, well, I can get into that if you want to ask questions.
1: Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Tell us about a system. Let's transition into AAC. Yeah. So, um, Liam, Liam picked up a few signs
3: um, very early on. He puts his hand on his chest, which means I want. And he kind of waves you away to say no. Mm-hmm. And he's able to sign more at a younger age. Um, he has an amazing memory. He's really good at matching and has a great memory. And so... Um, I'm trying to remember the first time I ever heard about AAC. Actually, I think we were at an early intervention program and, um, someone told us about you, about Rachel Madel and mm-hmm. and about getting an evaluation. And so we started, we reached out to you and we were in contact with one of your awesome therapists. And so Liam was, cause I, I just looked back this morning. So he was exactly two and a half when we started the consult mm-hmm. and then, um, by age three, he was having, you know, weekly AAC sessions. And now, thankfully, after fighting insurance a lot too, we get to see an incredible AAC specialist twice a week, which he loves. It's a favorite part of the day. Like he just, you know, often be like, Miss Alyssa, Miss Alyssa, Miss Alyssa. Like I <laughs> can't wait to see her and love to go back to videos
1: of their sessions. So oh, I have to tell you, I love watching Alyssa's videos of sessions with him because he's so happy and his little laugh just like gets me every time. So, and he's doing amazing. Like he's actually so beautifully learning language through AAC. Um, you know, it's really exciting for me as a therapist to see your whole story, right? Because oftentimes what happens is families don't know about AAC or there's fears around AAC. Like, you know, is this going to prevent verbal speech from developing? And for a two and a half year old, um, you know, that's a lot of parents' big fears. So can you talk a little bit about that You know, that whole process, because I know that for every family and every uh, person it's different, but did you have any concerns about AAC? Were you, you know, nervous about, you know, using uh, technology?
3: Absolutely. So we, um, I remember going to his like two and a half year old checkup and asking his pediatrician, like, what do you think about AAC? Like, you know, really excited to hear what you had to say. Like, um, will it hinder verbal speech? Will it help? Um, And she, thankfully, we have an incredible developmental pediatrician who said, you know, any ways of communicating are incredible. Expose him to as much as you can. Um, you know, on our Facebook group, even with families with Cohen syndrome, the experiences were very different. Um, But as I've come to realize over the years, um, some of the kids become verbal at an early age still at two or three, some, um, you know, never become verbal and some become verbal at a later age at eight or nine or 10. And so I was excited about us, you know, I, I think I don't remember who the first person was that told me. I think it was Jasmine, our first, um, you know, AT therapist that worked with said to me, like, you know, I'm sure just like you have a favorite color. Liam had a favorite color. Like we deserve to know what Liam's favorite color is. Liam deserves to share what his favorite color is. And it's true. There's so much that I didn't know about Liam because he didn't have a voice yet to share it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I was very excited about the possibility. And so after the initial consult and the team decided that touch chat would be the best App for him, um, you know, there was a lot of modeling, and he didn't take to it immediately. And you know, Liam at the time was very small; he's grown a lot, but he weighed, you know, twenty five pounds, and it, it's heavy to carry an iPad, and then it has to also, you know, have a case on it so that it's secure, and it, it's really, um, you know, it's challenging. So I think a lot of the times we would like put it in front of him. And he would start using it to request foods. It was a little bit like a menu during meals. Mm-hmm. And Liam yeah. loves grapes. Like, grapes are his favorite thing in the entire world. So, like, eat grapes, eat grapes, eat grapes was like, you know, he would say that over and over. And it was, you know, so he would start to express the foods that he wanted to eat. So, it, at the beginning, it was definitely more for requesting. Mm-hmm. And we put it in front of him and then something magical happened maybe around like three three and a half years where he started seeking out his voice and he was also getting strong enough to like pick it up from a counter put it in front of him smart enough to know to push the circle to turn it on um you know he really was looking for his voice and so it went from him um you know just asking for specific foods to talking about activities um you know he wanted to go to the park or he wanted to play um You know, with a specific toy, or he wanted to go on the swing, or he'd have a snack and he'd tell us where he wants to eat the snack. And Mm -hmm. he would tell us that he wants to go eat it on the crash pad, or he wants to go eat it outside, or, you know, he wants to play with bubbles. So, really, a lot of us understanding what it was that he wanted. Um, Sometimes, you know, Liam will just grab your hand and guide you somewhere, and Mm -hmm. then he'll just point. And I know him so well, a lot of the times I do know what he wants. And so I try not to, you know make him ask for things in a million ways but a lot of times I I do try to encourage him to use his voice so that others that don't know him as well can also like really clearly understand um you know what he wants and it's i mean there's just so many advantages to it i you know we were at a restaurant A few months ago, and, you know, Liam has such a sweet personality and, you know, his meltdowns are like very mild, but we sat down and he just started crying and he was really unhappy and I took out his voice and, um, you know, he said eat chips because he remembered probably the last time we were at a restaurant he ate chips and I was like oh my god that's what he wants to eat and so we got him chips and he was really happy and I was like imagine if I never knew that he wanted chips and I just said oh it's okay or here's this here's that and pulled out different foods or different toys and he never got to tell me what he wanted and he just continued that with that frustration and I could only imagine how over time Um, You know, a child could become so frustrated. And so it's amazing how even times when he's asking for something that's not available, he's so much happier once he's able to ask. And we acknowledge that. So he loves to watch TV. Um, He loves to watch YouTube. He loves to watch specific shows. So a lot of times he will ask to watch. And I'll say thank you for telling me you want to watch, but watch is not available now. Or he wants a bottle of milk, and I'll say I understand, but milk's not available. How about water? Or you know, milk's not available. How about Cheerios? And so we're able to acknowledge his desires and then also give him alternatives. And so it's it's amazing because I don't even remember when my preoccupation with whether or not he'll become verbal just came to this like immense gratitude for his ability to communicate.
1: Yeah, and I think that. Oftentimes it takes those moments where you're like, I would have never known, you know, in this situation, what was really, you know, bothering him, or I would have never known this small detail, right? It's like, we can only anticipate so much. We can only do so much with nonverbal communication, right? Because that requires that thing to be accessible, and in that restaurant where he was upset about chips, like there weren't chips in front of him to point to or to take you to. Right. And so it's just like, there's, there's only the idea in his head. And if he has no language, um, you know, consistently to be able to communicate those things then he's just trapped and not being able to really connect.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, hold on. I was, there was something else I wanted to share that I just lost my my train of thought. Um, also, too, a lot of times when he's in the car, so like his voice goes with him everywhere, just like our voices go with us everywhere. And yeah. so the when he's in the car, I can't look back to see if he's signing. So if he's kind of like grunting and I ask him a question, he'll answer yes and no on his device. And that's really helpful to hear it like loud and clear. Oh, there was also another car ride where he was prepping, watch Spidey, watch Spidey, watch Spidey. We went to the Desconso Gardens. And it was a 45 minute car ride. And he asked to watch the entire time. And I thought about taking the voice away because it was really annoying. But then I was like, no, I wouldn't take away a child's voice. So he can ask over and over and over. And the answer is still going to be the same. But at least he's saying what he wants to.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And oftentimes, you know, you mentioned this idea of him talking about things that weren't available or, you know. He couldn't have at that moment in time. Just validating and acknowledging, you know, a child's desires makes a huge difference. It doesn't mean we always have to honor it because sometimes we can't, right? But just having that, that ability to share and have someone say i hear you like i know what you're trying to tell me um goes a long way and i think that that is really powerful for kids um cuz oftentimes we we hear families that are like oh like i can't always give them cookies like i want to take that off the device and i'm like or sometimes i want to take it off i'm like no you if if a child is thinking something they have to be able to to communicate it right um and it's like a it's a motor planning thing my brain thinks of the words that I want to say. And then I have to be able to execute that. Um, even if it means that it's not available or I have to say, I have to hear like, no, like we can't do that right now. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing too.
3: I also wanted to say too, that I think it's really improved his health. And I know that I've made this argument many times when I've advocated to our insurance company to cover the cost of these sessions Mm -hmm. is, you know, there's times where like I didn't know that he wanted water and he'll ask for water and then I'll feel so bad because I'm like, of course I don't want him to be dehydrated. And I'm so glad that he asked for water or he'll Mm -hmm. ask for sleep or he'll tell us he wants to go to his bed. Um, You know, so it's, it's really nice. And then one day it was really sweet. Uh, My nanny took him to therapy and I said, how was therapy? What did you do today? And he literally went into the sensory section and pushed crash pad and therapy ball. And then I confirmed with his therapist that that is in fact, you know, what they had worked on. And when you talk about, you know, asking for things that aren't available, like Liam loves leaves and he loves um, crows. And so like he couldn't sign crows, you know, different from cardinal or um, leaves. And so he'll ask me often to go, you know, look for crows or, you know, watch crows, which is to watch a video of it. Um, so that has been, that's been really, really exciting as well.
1: He is actually doing amazing language wise. Like he is so fun to watch because he really does respond to the modeling of language and really starting to put these ideas together like he's now building sentences organically and you know it's just really exciting to see as a therapist because you know these are the things that we know if we support kids by giving them immersive language exposure and that modeling on their AAC and we give them lots of opportunities to practice communicating with us then you know these are the things we start to see naturally happen and it's really awesome to see all of the words he's starting to combine and put together.
3: Thank you. And yeah, also having his device, we now learned that Liam knows all of his letters, he knows all of his colors, and he knows all of his shapes. And, you know, today, uh, and then one thing I want to make sure I talk about is the importance of collaboration and how much I love that all of the um, therapists that we've worked with, you know, through Rachel Madel, I've always connected them with his PT, his OT, his ABA therapist, actually his ABA therapist is with him 30 hours a week. So oftentimes she'll, you know, sit in the, on the sessions or watch the section, and it's amazing because then she can reinforce what they're working on all day long or like he's in school now so we had his you know private therapist connect with his school therapist and just today when I picked him up he said oh my god it was so fun like um you know we were working on big and little or I'd ask him how many apples he wanted and you know she's like sometimes he would just press the biggest number possible so I'd say two or three and he always knew three and there you understand the concept that Liam knows I want the most possible yeah. um, so it's really cute to see how much, um, he understands, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, his receptive language is, is really, you know, phenomenal. And it's great that he has this opportunity. And then sometimes I'll find him on his device, just exploring and, mm-hmm. you know, he goes into the letters and he really likes circles. So he'll just start pushing, you know, B, G, U, O, all the letters with bubbles. Um, he'll catch his, you know, favorite, colors. Um yeah, so it's, it's been it's been really fun. And then also for us too to like remind him of some of our experiences. So like if we go to the zoom, we see a flamingo, we can talk about it later and model for him, you know, where he can find it so that he mm-hmm. can also share his experiences.
1: I want to circle back to this exploration because I think what happens sometimes is we expect complete accuracy and perfection when it comes to AAC. And what I'm hearing from you is he has a lot of opportunities to explore his device and to hit all the different buttons and letters and all of those things. And that's part of the learning journey for kids. And oftentimes we, you know, have people saying, oh, well, that's not functional or that's just stimming or that's not purposeful. and It really is how many kids learn how to communicate. They learn where these words are and they like pushing the button and seeing the visual and hearing the word. And that is likely probably why he's been able to make the progress he's made because he's been given those opportunities instead of you guys saying like, no, 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 like, we're that's not the right letter. And like kind of giving that corrective feedback, you guys have really encouraged him to explore and honored whatever it is that he's trying to communicate in the moment.
3: Um, the kids always think it's, you know, it's really fun. And and sometimes that's a little bit of a trade off too, because kids want to like take it and play with it. And
1: yeah.
3: um, I definitely want to share how Liam communicates, but I also want them to respect it as being mm. his voice.
1: We've had a lot of AAC users on the podcast uh, and interviewing them. And that's one thing that they say is like, don't touch my voice. It's like an extension of my body. Um, And so asking permission before we kind of just like take a device and even with modeling. um, And I know a lot of families also a lot of my other families are saying like, Oh, like it's an opportunity, right? Like we want that modeling and we want to encourage everyone in our house to speak AAC. Right. Um, and so sometimes a second device can be helpful with the same, you know, the same program on it, just like, that's the modeling device. And then we have like, Liam has his device. Um, so just, just another idea that, you know, I've shared with some other families is, um, you know, figuring out a system that works because for every student and every family, it's very different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely like some, something to navigate.
3: That's a great idea. Oh, Also, the other day it was really cute. Liam likes to come pick up his older brothers from school. He also really likes looking for buses. So we'll go pick them up. And if we get there early, we'll go on to Wilshire, you know, and there's lots of buses that come by around three o'clock and he look for buses. So the other day we went to the gate where we normally pick them up. We were a little early. We went to look for buses and we started to walk away and he went into the device and, you know, when people and pushed Ethan, Noah, like to remind me, like, don't forget to get my brothers from school. Like, aren't we getting them from school? And right now we're working on personal questions So that if you ask him like, what's your name or where do you go to school or what's your mom's phone number? He can share um, a lot of that. But it's also a reminder too, that if he's not responding, it doesn't mean he doesn't know it. He also might be shy, like Liam's not, I don't, I shouldn't always expect him. Like I don't expect anyone else to always perform. And so the other day we were in a waiting room at, um, you know, one of his therapies and there was a little girl there and the mom said, Oh, what's your name? And I took out his voice and he was very excited, but he was shy. And so we started kind of doing some stimming and dancing around and moving in circles and he didn't answer. And I knew he knew what she was asking of him. And of course he knows how to say what his name is but he was just being shy and
1: playful. I think that's such an important point because we know that all kids have those speaking anxieties, right? With new people and new situations. And, you know, for kids who have verbal speech, we just, we we can look at that and say, oh, they're just shy right now. For kids who are using AAC or kids with disabilities, it 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 sometimes, like you said, can be misunderstood as lack of, you know, knowing or lack of attention or, you know, some type of lack. Right. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge that all kids um, and individuals in general can have some shyness or some speaking anxieties in new situations. Um, And it's not that they don't know, it's that they just feel a little uncomfortable.
3: Of course. And I think sometimes I'm guilty of that too. Like I'm so proud of him. I want to show off everything that he knows but, you know, if he's in a group with new people and he's not familiar with them, he's not comfortable with them, he also might not feel comfortable to share everything.
1: Yeah. And that's where you can kind of hop in and and do some modeling, right? Like you could tell them, like, your name's Liam, right? Um, giving that encouragement, you know can be helpful. Because if you think too, like when we're in a state of um, dysregulation or anxiety, you know, we're not able to kind of think about what we want to say and we're not able to always respond. And so having the ability to see someone model something um, could be another strategy that would be helpful in that situation, um, just so he can have some support in those moments, even though we know he can kind of do a lot of things independently when we're dysregulated, it's like our bodies aren't acting the same. And we sometimes need a little bit more scaffolded support to kind of do the things that um, otherwise we could do on our own.
3: Absolutely. And also sometimes if I can see he's frustrated and his voice wasn't near him and I bring it to him, I just see that sense of relief. And I'm mm-hmm. like, of course he's relieved that he can say what he wants to.
1: Yeah, I know. That makes perfect sense. Um, So what do you think you kind of have been on this AAC journey for a few years, and I'm so excited that I was able to guide you guys through that process and get you started with AAC and, you know, support your family in that way. Um, What would you say is one of the biggest challenges when it comes to AAC? And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of modeling that needs to happen and patience and all those things, but, you know, from the parent perspective, what would you say is um, a challenge?
3: Honestly, I think one of the greatest challenges is just we know that we know our children so well. And sometimes it's just a lot easier because you intuitively know what they want and mm-hmm. they can drag you somewhere and, um, you know, they can point. But I feel like sometimes we need to challenge our children. We need to challenge all our children, you know, whether they have you know developmental delays or, um, you know, they're nonverbal. We need to challenge all of them to to, to rise up. And I think that a lot of times, um, you know, it's easier to just get him what he wants without having him, you know, explain it or share, but mm-hmm. then always reminded um, how valuable it is and how validating it is um, for him to, you know, use his voice.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's easy to be super intuitive and know, right? Like I feel like parents know their kids so well um, that we sometimes miss those those learning opportunities to learn how to explain something or to be using more words to you know communicate something. I'm sure there's let, plenty of opportunities where he's like, I'll just use a single word right now. And you know that it means I want to either watch that or see it or play with that toy, right? Like we oftentimes kind of make those leaps. Um, Um, and sometimes I think that's okay, right? Like, I think that it's hard using AAC for communication is hard, um, and takes energy and effort to build those sentences. Um, so I think sometimes it's okay to just like say, oh, I think you want to watch right now. Um, but while also knowing that there's so many opportunities where we need to model that next step above where, where that communication is. Um, and so I think that balancing is, is important, um, and yeah, it's, it's just like this extra, this extra layer of, of, of commitment, right. To like teaching him the language that he needs to move forward.
3: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, along with accuracy, um, you know, a lot of kids that are his age that are four might not be able to tell you exactly what's bothering them. So there have been times where he really just doesn't look well. And I'm like, Liam, what's wrong? Does anything hurt? And then I'll go to the page, you know, something's hurting and I'll say, like, does your ear hurt? Um, you know, does your throat hurt? Like, what hurts? Does your tummy hurt? And then there have been times where I'll say like ear, ear, and then he has an ear infection. And then I rush him to the doctor and he doesn't have an ear infection. Um, but you know, that's okay too. Maybe his ear really did hurt and he doesn't have an ear infection, or maybe he just wanted to press ear just like someone would point to their ear, but he meant head.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, no. And that's one of the things that I know a lot of families come to me and say, like, I want to know what's going on inside of them. Cause oftentimes you know, the kids that we're working with also have medical things going on. Um, and it's really hard when you don't know how they feel, what's hurting, if they feel sick. And that's definitely like something to, you know, keep supporting that exploration because all kids take a while to understand like what's going on in my body. Even myself as an adult, I'm like, I'm not really (laughs) sure like what's going on half the time. So it's, I think it's an important thing to explore and to model that language and honor what he's communicating. Um, because sometimes it's like that can make a huge difference and like, Oh, like his stomach's hurting. Like, okay, I understand that. Like maybe that'll change what we eat for dinner or, you know, what supplements or medications or whatever that we're you know going to try. Um, and so that process I think is really important for, for families and for kids to go through.
3: And I'm really excited about going into more social and describing words. And, you know, he's starting to tell us if things are good or bad, if things make him happy or sad. You know, I was thinking today, maybe targeting silly because Liam's become like very playful. Like at school the other day, his teacher said to me, I know he knows all of his shapes. And when I asked him to put his shapes in the puzzle, he was putting them in the incorrect shape and then laughing hysterically. And so I'm like, okay, he's being silly. And so, you know, teaching him about, um, you know, just teaching him through his device.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's funny. Um, I love when kids start using like a sense of humor and there's tons of opportunities to practice more social language there. because um, he's trying to connect in a funny way, right? And so humor is such a great motivator for communication. Um, and a lot of my kids start doing things like that and again, pairing that with language, right? So that he learns what that is and is then able to communicate about it. Um, I think that's awesome. That's so, so sweet. Yeah, and
3: it's really, I mean, it's really been fun just sharing his journey with people and encouraging people. I mean, recently- I just learned about a program in the state of California that was providing um, free iPads for anyone with a communication disorder, and I think it's expiring in June. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually stopped just so you know; um, they are they've been sending them within two weeks.
1: Wow, yeah. that's amazing.
3: So there, um, I went on, you know, and looked within our, um, oh, by the way, I, I didn't mention before. So Cohen syndrome is an extremely rare genetic condition mm-hmm. and there's less than 1000 individuals diagnosed worldwide.
1: Wow. That, um, is ra- that is very rare.
3: That is very rare. And about half of those individuals are in the Amish community. So those are people I haven't connected with, um, mm. via social media. Um, there's also a higher prevalence in like Finland and Greece. And so we have mm. this extremely international community, you know, friends um, that have become like family that are in, you know, Tunisia and Lebanon and Israel and all over the world. And that's another thing too. I think that um, through this journey, I've met so many incredible people and friends, and I feel so close to others that are going through something so similar. And I also think that it has um, provided me like an immense sense of gratitude. So, you know, if I'm telling someone that my child is nonverbal and has 30 hours of therapy a week and has some medical conditions and I need to get him two nightly injections. Um, a lot of this sounds very sad, but then you meet Liam and it's not sad at all. He's extremely happy. He's so joyful. And then I connect with families that have other genetic conditions and maybe their child, you know, isn't able to walk or isn't able to, you know, eat food um, with their mouth and, you know, is G2 fed or might have a condition that is degenerative. Like there's just so many aspects of like Liam's life and Liam's abilities that make me so grateful for everything that he can do, all the progress he can make, and then also to appreciate everything that I'm able to do and everything that my other children are able to do and just the ways that our bodies work to allow us to thrive. So it's been, I think, really cool. And I I remember the day that Liam was diagnosed, my husband said to me, um, Liam will be happy, will be better because of it. And our other boys will be better because of it. And even though there are times that are extremely challenging, um, that has all been true. And that always will be. And, you know, sometimes it's okay to grieve the life you thought you'd have, um, or grieve the fact that, you know, probably won't drive a car or go to college or get married or live independently. I mean, who knows? You may surprise us and do a lot of these things, but, um, you know, it's okay to like grieve and then also just be so appreciative.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think once you kind of grieve and have all those very natural, normal reactions to a diagnosis. you can come out of the other side of that with gratitude and uh, hope and all of these kind of emotions that really keep propelling you forward. And I'm sure as, you know, he has shown you all that he can do and is learning and, you know, is capable of um, it just, again, feeds into that gratitude and hope and all of that, um, you know, positivity.
3: Absolutely. And every time I unhide a new word or open a new folder, like I'm filled with hope. I'm filled with hope for his expanding interests and his expanding communication. I mean, he started looking for the moon every day. So then I went into space and then I realized all the planets were there and he had learned about the planets from a Bubble Guppies episode that he loves to watch. So we started talking about the planets. He started identifying the planets. So it's really fun to see how he can continue to um, you know, grow within the program that he's using.
1: Mm, Yeah, I know. That's awesome. And it's really fun, you know, to be able to share new experiences and talk about new things and see what new curiosities he develops over time. Okay, Ashley, how can people get in touch with you? You're very active in the Cohen syndrome community. Um, And so I want to make sure people who are listening, who are interested in learning more about Cohen syndrome, know where to go. And also you have to share your social media for Liam because it's the biggest thing ever.
3: (laughs) So, our handle on Instagram, we're most active on Instagram. So, our handle on Instagram is Cohen Syndrome. So, C O, sorry. We're most active on Instagram, and our handle on Instagram is Cohen Syndrome, C O H E N. S-Y-N-D-R-O-M-E. And then Liam has his own account called Liam Lights The Way because he really lights his own way. And so on Liam Lights The Way is where I just show, you know, sweet everyday videos of Liam being himself, Liam being happy, Liam communicating with AAC. The first time Liam told me I love you, which was all, I mean, which will go down in history. as one of the most special moments of my life. So absolutely find us at Cohen syndrome Liam liked the way you can always message me. Um, I love when I find new families that are newly diagnosed and I will pick up the phone happily anytime and talk to them and guide them through this journey because I'm so grateful for those that have done that for me. And I just really love, um, I love connecting with people. So please uh find me reach out to me. I'm here to help you, even if it's another you know, genetic condition or um, another communication disorder, whatever it is. I'm very candid, very open, love to share the resources that we've found and how we're able to obtain them.
1: Yeah. I think that sense of community is one of the hardest things when you're newly diagnosed, right? Um, you're trying to figure out like how to navigate the space. And I'm sure that your experience was reaching out to communities that have some experience and have kids who have similar, um, you know, challenges can be helpful in guiding the way for you and connecting with the people that have been able to help you and all of those things. And so, um, it's awesome.
3: It's a whole new world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome how the internet allows us to connect so easily with people, you know, like you said, all over the world.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I'm so grateful for all of the negatives of, you know, social media. I'm so grateful for all the people I've connected with, the people that make me feel um, less alone. Um, just everything I've learned from other parents and other families.
1: Amazing. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your your journey.
3: Um, thank you so much for having me. And just thank you again so much for doing what you do. It's so incredible. I mean, I definitely thought Liam was too young. He was too. Is this something we should even explore? And I didn't necessarily see the progress right away. But once he started making progress, wow. I mean, his world is just expanding so much. And we're so happy for him.
1: I know. I specifically, specifically remember uh, the first time we met and I thought, no, he's not too young. Like, this is great. I was like, I'm loving that I'm getting a, uh, you know, a mom who's calling me about AAC for a two and a half year old. And I forgot um, to say
3: that when he was able to isolate his index finger, it was like the most exciting thing in the world because he was just able to access his device, you know, so much yeah, better.
1: Exactly. And think about all the learning that we were able to do therapy wise teaching you guys about AAC and how to model all while he was able to learn those skills, right? That's the beautiful thing is that if we shift our perspective away from the accuracy, right? In the initial stages, and we think more long-term like, yes, with time, his fine motor index point will improve. His ability to, you know, attend and look at the different words and activate them will improve all those things he will learn how to do. In the meantime, we were able to do a lot of parent education and training you guys up on how to model and how to integrate this into your everyday life and all of those skills. Um, and then he caught up, right? He, really. he Index point And now he's just like a little chatterbox over there. Yeah.
3: And all, I mean, all the work was worth it. All the work was definitely worth it because, you know, Liam deserves to have his voice.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Ashley, for talking with tech and Rachel Madel joined by Ashley Waterman. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank
3: you.